0: Hello, my name is Hilary. I'm one half of the General Consensus podcast, and with me today is my co-host Simba, and we're also joined by our friend, close friend, Tawanda Kawadza, just to help us sort of touch on the things that have been going on, mainly on the African continent, because there have been a lot of crazy things happening, obviously the last 20 years, but recently we've seen things intensify quite a bit um, this year, and it's been a bit disconcerting, understandably so. But I guess here we are and all we can do now is sort of gather ourselves and find solutions and ways to move forward. Um, But briefly, we just want to send a shout out and our support and prayers to a young man named uh, Tanatswa Marumani, who is part of the Falcon College family, just like us. Um, Personally, my experience is that I don't know him personally. He wasn't in my house, so I didn't have that sort of close relationship with him. But it's just been amazing seeing people in a similar situation as regarding our relationship with the, with the young man um just doing their part to spread awareness and help support him on social media and various platforms and as of this morning um his family announced that he was going into surgery so that in itself i think is a victory because you know given the current situation economically and even um if we think about the health system in Zimbabwe, the fact that he's been able to raise his hemoglobin levels enough to even um, be able to go into surgery is a victory in itself, I think. Um, but we continue to pray and support. Um, yeah, if you want to find out more about Tanatswa and follow him on his journey, you can follow uh, the Instagram page, team underscore Tenazwa. Tenazwa Tanatswa. Tanatswa spelled T A N A T S W A. You can find them on Instagram and we will put uh, a link in our Instagram bio. So right, uh, getting into it, Tawanda, you did have an update for us regarding what's going on back home.
1: Um, Yeah, hi, Tino. Um, first things first, I would just like to also send my personal thoughts and prayers to Tanato Marumani. Like Tino said, he's part of the Falcon family and all that. So yeah, we always have to look out for our boys. So yeah, uh, glad to hear that his surgery went well. Oh, um, well, his surgery is go- going, is is going, and I hope it goes well. You know, because yeah, that's our boy. But yeah, um, back to what's happening in Africa. Ah, uh, dude, you said crazy. You said like things are crazy right now. Crazy is an understatement. <laughs> like yeah, you know, at some point you, you you just laugh, but like it's so painful. Um, the there's so many countries going through the three that I'll cover. Uh, are Namibia, Nigeria, and the Congo. So the first one uh, that I'm gonna be talking about is Namibia, and um, they've started this shut it all down campaign where they are fighting against femicide, rape, and sexual abuse in the country. And that is all the tribute, gender-based fight. Ah, I don't know guys, males, we keep hurting ourselves. But yeah, um, so up to June 2020,
0: yeah? More importantly, I think than hurting ourselves, we're hurting key members of our community, and that's the way It's it's an un- understandable thing because I think personally, my feeling is that a lot of the things that are wrong with the world, you know, they they don't stem from selfishness. I think they stem from people having this weird desire for power or to assert dominance, and you know, I, it just doesn't make sense to me because. These things are senseless. I mean, just now we heard about that young girl, unfortunately, who's six years old, who was raped and murdered. Like, that... Eight, fam. Eight. Like, this is someone who hasn't had a, a chance to even develop into a shell of themselves. Right? This is a young person. And rape, and it's a type, It's a it's like, it's messed up. But then, even more so, you rape and you take the life of someone He's not even a teenager, to me, it just doesn't, I don't know. Yeah. Nah, it's a miss. Like, it's, yeah, it's something that's
1: um shocking, horrendous. Like, Simba, like, how do you feel? Like, I I know, like, we're all not, like, um psychologists, are, but, like, what do you think of people who have that kind of state of mind?
2: Personally, I think that's very cruel. That's inhumane. I mean, the fact that you're going for someone who can't even defend themselves is really sickening. And it shows that you're literally capable of anything. And for me personally, I know this is going to sound very radical and very extremist, but personally for people, I can't tolerate people who rape. And if you rape someone, I honestly believe that you should get castrated period. That's what I think. Hey, hey, hey. I
1: will take it up. I think Saudi Arabia is already taking that up. So for the rest of the world, but yeah. As I was saying earlier, like
0: in, I'm, I'm sorry, in I'm Bini sorry, I'm sorry to guys, I'm sorry to interrupt, but like I just realized we haven't even said her name, and I feel like if we don't, then she just becomes another statistic. But this is a real life person, and right. I I can't really pronounce the name, but I just want to say rest in peace, to Inati Claro, um yeah, and she was six years old. I just want to, imagine. but I think I feel like there's there's a real importance in attaching a name to these victims because. It 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 makes them more than just a statistic. You you get what I'm saying? Because when you hear a black man shot, that's that's a very distant thing. But you know, you hear the name of the person, and it it makes it all the more real to us. And it should be all the more real, and it's something that should be taken seriously. That's why I think, for example, even though it's a slightly different case, but it's still murder. You know, that's why they say say her name with regards to Breonna Taylor, because you have to human humanize you know these victims they're not just you know a statistic or an occurrence they're not just a headline and i feel like it's important to I uh, attach names and identity because they're humans just like us so that's just my interjection but please do carry on and a fair
1: interjection that is do not want to seem like we are ignorant and just like reading out stats this this is deep, like this is not something where it's just like, um, yeah, um, the football to team at 70% position. This this is now coming to lives. So thank you for that interjection, actually. It's yeah, it it gave more heart to the conversation because we just want to show as well that we are agreed by everything going on. Right. And yeah, for the third time. For the third time. Are there any interjections before before I get into this one? <laughs>
0: Um, no, I've got no rejection, yeah, but please do continue. All right, that's fair.
1: Um, going into June 2020, there were 1,604 rape cases reported, which is
0: yeah, that's colossal.
1: This is is in Namibia,
0: in Namibia alone. So, this is with regards to the shut it all down, yeah, correct? Um, okay, please continue. Um,
1: yeah. Up to between January 2019 and June 2020, that is 540 days. Yeah, 540 days. Three rape cases were reported to the
0: police every day. Three a day. That's that's the ones that those are the ones that are reported. Now, if we think about the ones that aren't, and that's the majority, that that number is just it's insane. It's it feels. I don't want to use the word surreal because it, it's. I wouldn't say it's surreal. It's it's just. I don't know. I'm I'm a bit speechless because it, it just shows you that, you know, we do all these campaigns as as guys. And, you you know, after every rape case, but guys or guys on Twitter and Instagram and social media, they're like, come on, we've got to do better gents. We've got to do better gents. But, you know, nothing changes. So clearly, we're not doing better. So clearly, these are just words. You get what I'm saying? Um, And for that reason, I would apportion all the blame on males regarding female rapes. Um, Obviously guys do get raped, but that's the minority. And that's why, while it's important to raise awareness for that, it's my personal feeling, which is obviously very narrow-minded because I'm not that clued up on everything as I should be. Um, My personal feeling is that guys have to just be accountable because there's no one else that can be accountable. You can't victim them because we shouldn't be having a conversation about women should do this to be safer. It should be men should be doing this to stop it because we're the ones that are perpetrating and commit committing these crimes and that's just my personal regarding it.
1: Yeah, I, I resonate to that wholeheartedly. Resonate to that because like you can't exactly even like with that whole situation. Like it's always it's always a two way street. You know, you can't say okay these guys have to do something to protect themselves. What do men have to do to stop? I, I I don't know how you feel about it. It was all Simba.
2: Yeah, I mean. <laughs> Of course, it does happen on both sides at the end of the day, but as Tina said, it's more on the on the men's side and it's it's sad because it's a system basis and it seems like it won't stop. And like what Tina is saying as well, that it shouldn't even be a case of how women should be wearing this or women should go to this and that. It shouldn't even be the case. We should be the ones protecting them, not harming themselves. Yeah, I don't know what the solution is, how we move forward and stop these. Yeah, it's so uh, you know, no matter how much you try
0: to stop. I mean, I agree with Dickie to, to a large extent, but there's just one point that I want to challenge Dickie on. That's cool. And it's that because you said that we should be protecting them, but I, I feel like they don't need our protection. They just need our decency, they just need us to view us as, as equal. And I think that's essentially what like feminism is about, is because we, they don't—they're not asking for our protection. They're not asking for for anything greater than what we would want for ourselves. They just want us to view them as equals and to treat them as equals and to treat them with dignity. And that's that's all they're asking for. Which, and if you look at it that way, it doesn't make sense how someone can't be feminist, in my opinion, because it's just like how someone, you know, can't be someone that my my personal view is how someone can't be for Black Lives Matter because. We're not saying black lives matter more than another racial group, et cetera. It's the same thing with the feminist thing. They're not saying that females matter more than males. They're saying that we just want to prescribe to us the same dignity, the same values, the same privileges that you would prescribe for yourself and for your children. That, that That's all it is. So my the only, I agree with Dickie, Even on what he said about castration, and I'll get into that a bit more. Excuse my rant. Um, but the only part I would challenge, Dicky is the part about protecting. I don't think they want our protection. They don't need our protection. Um, where I agree as well, Dickie, about castration is that they used to do it. You know, they used to castrate rapists, but for some reason they stopped. And I've just been thinking, and I don't have stats to back it up, but from my personal experience and what I've noted, it seems like rape is the most, of all crimes, right? And I'm only going to talk about the ones that are actually reported rape's probably the one that's most disproportionate in terms of guilty verdicts. You get people getting ver- guilty verdicts when they haven't stolen stuff, right? They get incarcerated with rape. You know, you get guys that actually have done it and they get let off. And I, I guess it goes to, it's the hard one of the hardest ones to prove um, because even DNA is not conclusive all the time. But it's such a disproportionate um, sort of verdict grant um in terms of the legal system and that's another flaw in our, in our justice system is that we can't even or the people that can protect victims um and sort of avenge them that's meant to be the justice system and even they don't do a good job of it when we fail to prevent it so obviously we should fail we should look towards prevention and when prevention isn't there we look at amelioration and mi- mitigation and you know justice even that process fails because the system isn't sort of wired to benefit the victims. And that's something that we need to look at in terms of reform. And that's a conversation of the day. But that's just, um, I guess, what I wanted to say regarding Dickie's point. Uh,
1: yeah, you know, yeah, that was profound, to say the least. Um, I think on the main point is just like on the challenge that you said to Dickie, yeah, I also agree that we shouldn't be looking to protect women. We should be looking to give them respect. And, uh, yeah, that one I think out of everything that you said, right, which was like just like a whole lot of facts out of but that one stood out the most to me, so, uh, yeah, and let's just respect each other as well as like, yeah, just respect each other, don't look at this guy as a guy or a girl, let's just respect each other, and I feel like if we do that, then it's stand, then we have less radical people to who who go to that extent to say, okay, nah, I'm going to assert dominance like this. We can't, yeah, we can't be having that.
0: I agree with you, Joanne. Right. So what do you have to pull us in about uh, what's going on in the Democratic Republic of Congo with our brothers and sisters in Nigeria as well? All right. Um. Okay, so I'll, I'll start with the DRC. I'll
1: start with the DRC. Cool. Like, what's happening there is that in the eastern parts uh, of that region, there's uh, mining going on, sounds normal, right? Yeah, it's just it's just mining, like uh, resources being taken from our beloved Africa, going into Western countries and other countries, normal stuff, right? But this time, um, what people are losing their marbles over is that they're using kids to mine, With yeah, that in itself is just highly controversial. I, I, yeah, I mean, listen like you we understand that like there's there's like productivity needed in fact to a certain extent i don't understand because it's not like congo needs all of the resources that they that they're using these kids for dude like how does how does an eight-year-old child like say okay uh, be told okay you have to work so that um a 16 year old or someone or you know 16 year old and above gets his iphone in moldova i don't i don't know i just yeah that that whole thing of just using kids to mine, to
0: to work in the first place, is just a mess. Yeah, my perspective. Child labour is just despicable. I mean, yeah, we, we know child labour, it's not just happening in DRC. It's happening in various parts or various regions across the world. And I don't have much to add on that, on this topic. But I think it's it's a fairly straightforward one in that it, it's, it's just wrong. It's just wrong. And this is, I don't think this is something that has a gray area. It's child labor and it's undue influence. Just not right. That's just me. What about you, Dickie? What do you think? Yeah, I think um, God's child labor
2: thing, as you said, is despicable. I mean, it goes on in our places. I know I'll probably digress a bit, but you even look at Sierra Leone where kids are being recruited from a young age. How was it? The the army not army exactly but then the rebels and these are kids who are four five years six years of age and now they're being told now you should go kill this guy and then by the time they grow up they already have them their head, like yeah i'm going to do this so yeah it's, it's a very sad thing and even just talking about the congo where like most of these guys they're kids and they're being told to mine all this stuff when they're going to be being told to be going to School and learning things that's going to help them later on in life. I mean, their child is being taken away for such things, and I think that's something we look at and find ways to to stop that type of treatment.
3: Yeah, we
1: would it's yeah we shouldn't. It's it's not only Congo going through child labor. I think every in fact it's, it's actually sickening to a certain extent. Almost African countries are actually going through that. So that thing of like we don't have a workforce so yeah let's get the kids in a uh, guy nah that's ah uh, i can't have it and it's not even like you know to a certain extent like i know this this can sound even co- more controversial but it would make it would make like a 0.01 percent more like if most of the child labor was going you know within if it was indigenous like if it was going towards like an indigenous product but the fact that it's also going overseas uh yeah it's just nah i can't i i i simply can't like stand by that in any sense
0: um yeah i agree uh, with you guys um like i don't know if you guys listen to dave for example but there's this one song of his. it's called uh black i don't know if you guys know that song it's off his album, Psycho yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And he says something that's quite profound in that song. So the song is called Black. I think it's in the first verse. He says, um, black or well, being black is, well, he says, tell us we, they tell us we used to be barbaric. We had actual queens. Black Being black is watching child soldiers getting killed by other children, feeling sick, like, oh, snap, this could have happened to me and your mom's watching the news, on the, well, the news on the TV, telling stories about your dad and your niece. And it's just like, that's like a, r- a reality. But a lot of African space is that we might seem detached from it because to, to my knowledge, I don't have any relatives that are child soldiers or in child labor, but I probably know someone who is very close to that situation. And it, it's, it's, it's just like everything else that we've been discussing. These are the realities that some people have to confront on a daily basis. And we are sitting here speaking. From, and that's something that we shouldn't take for granted. And we actually have to use our, as so I was having a conversation with my close friend, Tendo, and I was saying that we have a privilege that we're not directly affected. Indirectly, yes. And we are emotionally scarred by what's going on. But because we're not directly affected by a lot of what's going on, we have a privilege that other people other Africans also do not have. So we have to use that privilege to aid and support those that are actually directly affected by it. Yeah, you know, that's what I have to say on that matter. No, yeah, that's free. That's
1: free. Um, it's one of those, yeah, where it's like, be grateful that you're not directly affected, but at the same time, you can't like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be grateful and leave it at that. I mean, it's harder to fight for something that doesn't directly affect you. But I feel like when, it's, when it comes to something this big, you have to you have to uh put your put your shoes on and go outside and do what you can. And yeah, that's uh that's just how I feel about the whole DLC thing. It's just like, yeah, I mean I know that it's not your kids or your countrymen even, but the fact that like we're all fellow Africans, we can't just watch this going on and
0: keep quiet. Uh, yeah. We can't be doing that. Great. Can you tell us more about um Oh, well, tell us about what's happened recently in Nigeria with the NSARS movement. Right. So long story short, right?
1: Um let me just explain also SARS, like what, what SARS actually is. for you know, for me I was just seeing I was hearing NSARS NSARS but then I didn't actually know what SARS was. So SARS is like the special anti-robbery squad of the Nigerian police of the Nigerian police mm-hmm. force. Ah, yes. Um they are obviously um, the special force um, to stop armed robbery, any sort of like covert operations, you know, like, yeah, the, standard, the the high level stuff. So yeah, these guys, it's now come out, it's come out now, right. Um, that these guys, like since for the past, like five years, um, it might be more that um, they've been abusing their power. Basically, like straight up police brutality, uh, beating civilians for dressing well, even just just for dressing well. Right. And yeah, and just extorting so many things going on. And the pinnacle, the apex to that was um, the shooting in Leki at a toll gate in Nigeria and uh, apparently this was instructions from the government they just like went out and just started shooting everyone up um they killed they killed a few uh, they killed quite a number of civilians as well and injured a lot and yeah i that's what disconcerted me like obviously it's unfortunate that like these things only make the news you know when something big has happened and that big thing was the whole tollgate
0: yeah i mean i found it a bit odd that NSARS has actually been a thing for a while now, if I'm not mistaken. But then it only really gained that public momentum worldwide after the Lecky toll massacre, if I'm not mistaken. Because before that we we were hearing about NSARS. I'm pretty sure we were. And then the Lecke incident happened, or the Lecky atrocity, and then all of a sudden there's this uh big media wave. But we're grateful for that because there's coverage and when there's coverage, there's awareness and there's information. And That means that we can now start, you know, plotting a way forward. I'm just a bit sad that, you know, we had to wait until, or the world had to wait until there was the Lekki incident, this thing to really be globalized and put on the, the world stage for everyone to see the atrocities that are happening in Nigeria. Now, would
1: it's yeah. Like yeah, exactly. Like I'm just gonna repeat the the fact that I said like yeah, it's it's sad that like we you, like for example for us Africans we've probably been hearing about insults like way longer than someone in Britain for example, right? Like it took it took that shooting for people to then like be fully away And I think another thing, uh, one thing that we can take as a positive from all of this, right, is that the main people that are now trying to take out the political movement that like starts and SARS, are the youth. Simba, what do you think about the
2: youth trying to take a stand to this? On not old people, period. <laughs> it's just period. There are old people to be running them and ruling them. Simple and straightforward. Who wants a six-year-old, I don't know how old Nigeria is, but who wants a six-year-old running their country? We come from Zimbabwe, and we know the problems. So I think it's, it's a strong movement because it shows that they're taking their future into their own hands. They're tired of all these things that are happening. They know that it's not going to change if these guys are going to be, if they're going to continue letting um, this organization continue running when they're not doing their job properly. So, yeah, I'm, I would say, I'm quite, I don't want to say, I'd say impressed and I'm, because. It shows that they care about what they they care about their future. At the end of the day, they want to shape their own future and they want to change. So yeah, um, those those are just my basic thoughts and opinions.
1: Oh yeah, I feel yeah um yeah get the old people out huh? that's, I mean yeah, it, it it that that is even deeper than SARS. Like there's just like that whole corruption. But before like I move before I move on from this like whole source thing. like Diggy, what do you think about black-on-black violence in general?
2: Honestly, I'm, I've never understood it. <laughs> like really, I've actually never understood it. Why do we bring each other down? Why do we target each other? We're supposed to be supporting each other. Like I know I'll probably digress a bit, but you look at um, the audience, you look at the, I would say, maybe even the white people, they don't shoot each other down in the foot or whatever they help each other out they may not be friends or anything but yeah they, they help each other out and get to where they need to get then they go separate ways the black people it's just like wow if if i make it you can't make it how did you make it um nah, you have to grind your own way you have to do this and that and it's just like it just doesn't make sense. And just to go back on black on black violence, I just I just don't understand it. Why are we killing each other when we're supposed to be stopping this stuff? This gang violence towards each other is not off because at the end of the day, we're all going to suffer from it. If I kill you, I'm still going to suffer because I'm going to go to jail and the cycle is going to continue going on and on and it'll never end. So yeah, I find it really stupid, um, pointless. And yeah, that's just
0: just about it. I don't know about you guys, but it's silly to say the you Tino, I agree with. Dickie. Um, yeah. Um, I especially like when when Diggy said that, you know, there's there's opportunities for all of us. And I know I reference lyrics a lot, but you know, music really is the history of our culture. So, for example, there's a song, um, called "Teardrops" by this UK rapper of African descent. His name is Kano. And to his last line of that song, he says, who taught us musical chairs? There's enough seats for everybody, mate. And basically what that's saying is that we're fighting, you know, we're fighting for one position or one thing in life. But we don't realize that there's enough for all of us as Black people. You know, it's not musical chairs. There's enough to go around. So we don't need to be like crabs in a bucket, killing each other or just impeding each other to get by. But in general, Black on Black violence, it, it just gets to me. You know, because growing up they tell us about Ubuntu, you know, that sense of community and belonging to a group. And just now, you know, we we're, we're talking about Tanatwa Marumani and how, you know, as a community we've banded together and rallied in support of him. And that's Ubuntu. But you know, black and black violence, you know, jealousy, all these little things, they set up they set us back. And that's that's not meant to be you know our reality but we're making it our reality for a number of reasons and i just think that we have to put a value on black lives um if we don't take black lives seriously then the rest of the world won't and our leaders know this because they come from the same places as us, both geographically and socioeconomically and socially they come from the same places they might be wealthy now through whatever means but they didn't always they weren't always those people you know, they come from the same places as us. They know our struggles, they know you know, our plights, they know our social issues. So these are not foreign concepts to them. They know the plight of the black man, particularly the black African man and woman, right? But this just serves to make their disregard for human life all the more appalling in, in my, excuse me, in, in, in my opinion. And that's where I stand on black and black violence because these are the people at the top that are not really creating a, an atmosphere or an environment where we can be brothers and sisters and say we We look at Black people, you know, and, and we pit each other. And I think that's where this culture comes from. You know, it starts when we pit each other against each other. And I, I, I'm, I'm digressing and ranting, but for example, a few days ago, there was the Kareem Benzema, on Mendy, Vinicius Jr. thing. I'm sure you two know about it. So basically for our viewers, there might not be aware or might not follow football closely those three are are footballers of African descent all three of them they play for uh, Real Madrid Kareem Benzema he's sort of like a leader in that team he's of Algerian descent then you've got Ferland Mendy and Vinicius Junior who are both um, uh, young black men so it was he was uh Kareem was caught on camera telling Ferlan not to pass the ball to Vinicius who's a young guy he's like 18 19 20 something like that and social media was just making a big deal out of it but it's something that happens in sports it's, it's so common so that's not the point the point is that that was an example of social media trying to pit black men against each other for a completely irrelevant you know situation and that's just the culture that we have for some reason that we want to pit young black men and young black women against each other and it doesn't make sense. And it shouldn't be that way. And that's what it perpetuates because we're constantly living thinking there's not enough for everyone, so I have to be the one that eats. But that's not really the case. It's not. And then in the end, you've got um a whole generation of people who are looking at the next man not as a brother or sister, but as a competitor. And it shouldn't be that
1: agreed. Agreed. Glad that you got all that off your chest. Like you both spat facts on yeah on like how we can't be undercutting you know it doesn't even have to be violence like the way Tino said like even though that whole Benzema situation doesn't have to be violence it's just it's something you know when you're just like trying to put your when you're trying to put your brother down when you trying to put your brother or your sister down and yeah like in hindsight even that can be argued like with Benzema saying like maybe you're trying to do it for the good of the team you know that could be all but then you see the way media twists it is there it's like, uh these Blackhawks, they don't know what they're doing type of thing. So, yeah, it's just, uh yeah. I think I, I've said this so many times. I've just been flabbergasted, like, this whole this whole episode. And just, I've just been like, this is, ah. Uh, because I, I really have no words to explain the amount of, yeah, you, you can't say rubbish, the amount of rubbish that is going on to this certain extent. So, uh, yeah, I don't know, know.
0: So, yeah, and now that we've covered that, in quite some depth I've got a question for you guys and I'll give you a bit of background and then I'll ask for your opinion but my question for you is do we as Africans and also as activists do we impede ourselves and step over our own feet and the example that I want to give and the sort of motivation for this question is taking into account the Zimbabwean lives matter back in August um, which is when I saw that a number of people even Zimbabweans don't really take our plight that seriously because you had certain factions on social media gaslighting them as if they weren't affected by it. But the moment I realized that many people didn't understand the seriousness of our situation was when Lassizwe tweeted in support of the movement. And then there were quite a number of people who who sort of like cussed him out for his sexual orientation. And this is why we're at a crossroads that we shouldn't even be at. Because one, obviously that's homophobic. And that's quite backwards, and that's a topic for, for another day. But you've got someone who's got a lot of influence rooting for us, trying to help us forward our agenda, right? And here you get these homophobes and these bigots who are affected by this very same movement that we're trying to, you know, you know by, the, by the situation that we're trying to sort of ease and, you know, um, aid and support. But But then people are being bigoted. And they'd rather let their their bigoted um, inclinations impede a movement that's affecting millions of involvements, and that just sort of poses the question for me, and for us: Do we impede ourselves, and do we step over our own feet? What are your takes, Simba? Yeah, uh, Simba. Um, yeah, Simba, go for this one. <laughs> um,
2: yeah, it's, that one's pretty, pretty interesting. I, I think one thing that stood out to me, I won't mention the name, but on Twitter, I remember seeing a certain person of influence posting something saying, I uh, know the the problem in Zimbabwe is not that deep and whatnot. Um, and then she got a lot of backlash and she was wrong in that, in that instance. But then I think a week ago or two weeks ago, um, she goes and starts saying, uh, talking about the ANSALS movement. And I'm just like, you've got issues going back at home and you can't even recognize what's going back there. But here you are recognizing other people's problems. And that for me is just, I don't even know how to explain it, but it just shows you that if it doesn't affect you, I can't be bothered mentality, simple and straightforward for me. And it's just so sad because. A lot of things are going on back at home. And like what Tina is saying, someone out there is trying to bring awareness to the people. But here you get people in the comments saying, but hold on, you are this, um, you're gay, you're all this and being homophobic and all that stuff. And I don't know, I think we always shoot ourselves in the foot every single time. When it looks like when we're taking one step forward, we always take five steps back and we never go in here with that mentality. So, yeah, um, it's really... As I said, um, people only care about stuff that benefits them. They don't really care. If it's not hurting their finances, not doing anything to them, they don't care. But yeah, how it is, especially in Africa. Now yeah. it's, yeah, we're always,
1: we're always against each other. I think the thing is, like, everyone is itching so much to be correct. Like, itching, like, like everyone. no one wants to be wrong. So as soon as your take is slightly different from someone else's, then ah, the agenda begins. And I hate that word, like that that word, exactly, agenda. Agenda always insinuates that you are never correct in what you say. Like, yeah, when someone says I'm starting an agenda against you, it's just like, yeah, it's it's more out of hate than out of facts. So when that kind of thing happens, yeah, it's, it's just, you, you don't, you, there's never going to be an agreement. There's never going to be agreement. Everyone just wants to be completely correct you know like no one no one ever wants to be like uh ah, okay you are i was right about this and you are right about that everyone wants to be a hundred and i think that's what that that simple that simple problem is what kills what the bigger structures that we are trying to build against any uh movement that is wrong
0: that's my take okay thanks guys thanks um obviously my i i, I touched on my take is that People need to get their headsets right. I think there is a lack of emotional intelligence amongst our people, also a lack of foresight. And people don't know how to view the bigger picture. We're worried about the wrong thing. We're worried about the wrong things because someone's sexual orientation, it's just laughable to me that you are going through a plight, right? And your country's in turmoil and you're worried about the next person's sexual, because to me, what that says, if I were a Western, you know, observer, is that, okay, so the plight isn't that bad because clearly you're really worried about your difference other than what's going on. So that, that would be my first reaction if I was a Western observer, who, observer who's detached from the situation, is I would think that this isn't really a problem. Because if it were a problem, you wouldn't be worried about something that's inc- inconsequential and insignificant to the cause that you you are being directly affected by. And that's just my stance on it, is that people need to just get their heads. And then that leads me to my next question, since I've been talking about the Western observers, is that, well, rather, how do you guys feel about the alleged disconnect between Africans and people of African descent, i.e. American African-Americans um your first generation immigrants all around the world, third generation, second generation in France or wherever they may be. And what I'm really looking for a particular focus is focus on is, you know, the difference between how Africans rushed to support the Black Lives Matter movement and the speed at which, you know, shut it all down, you know, the issues in Democratic Republic of Congo, what's going on in Botswana in Zanzibar and, and SARS, you know, the speed, the slow speed at which the Western world have come to our defense. How do you guys feel about that disconnect, Tawanda? Uh,
1: it's how it goes, really. Like, it's it's funny that you're pointing it now, but um, I actually didn't notice it. I'm so used to, like, delays, like, in everything, in, in terms of African causes. Like, everything is just slow, delayed lethargic responses it's yeah it's it's something that unfortunately um i've personally been used to and yeah it's uh it's unfair like uh, if we're talking if we're talking like how it's meant to be it's it's unfair it's that simple but i i don't know if i don't know if like the like yeah, that generation like if the african-americans are like to blame or rather it's just like the news outlets that are being like slow to inform me it's like no one cares about africa type of thing i wouldn't directly say it's their fault i would yeah but i would say that the situation is Great question
2: sorry and um, this is for everyone by the way uh, Are african americans african because if you look at um like when i talk about benzema benzema is from was it algeria but he moved, so that's it's, yeah, it's more yeah. He's from from France, but are African Americans Af- Africans? That's my question. I've never actually understood that.
0: I mean, I think it's it's a question of semantics. It's it's just like, and I'm not the most knowledgeable or informed person about this, but this is just because you asked for our opinion. It's just like the whole uh, white people's involvement debate. And I think they are, because they were born and raised and they're, they experience, maybe not to the same extent, but they still do experience and are aware of things that happen to Blacks involvement. So why can't they citizenship? You get what I'm saying? So even that sort of honorary citizenship thing that people talk about. Um, that's why I use the words of African descent Because even to me, the lines are blurred, because at what point do you lose your your Africanness? At what point do you, is it when you become detached from your history? Because a lot of Africans who are on on the continent, you know, are detached from their history. So how do we gauge, you know, who's African? And that's why I use the phrase people of African descent to specify and target sort of people who are not physically on the continent but their ancestors or even fathers and grandparents um, are from Africa. So that's why, because it, it, the lines are blurred. It, it, it all comes down to how do we sort of, um, where do we draw the line? So it, it's a tough one. I don't think there's a definitive answer, but yeah. Um, what What is your answer to this question, Dickie mm. oh, What was the question again? Sorry, I, I just got lost uh, in all of that. No, no, that's okay. Um, the question is basically about, the disconnect between Africans and people of African descent and how slowly they tend to come to support African issues. Whereas we rush to support African-American issues. And, okay, I'll give my perspective off to you. Okay. Um, yeah, I think
2: as Taonda touched upon it, I think sometimes uh, it doesn't really get as much media coverage. I mean, yeah, we know things in Africa are pretty slow. And it takes time for the news to get filtered out to the rest of the world. But I think at the same time, I always say this, and I said it just recently that if it doesn't affect them, they're not going to come rescue us. I think people have to understand that even with all these movements that are happening in Africa, the West do not care. They do not care about what's going on here. And we've seen it time and time again. You guys mentioned that we rush to them when it's black lives matter or um all these things happening around the world but when we ask for a simple movement um and sars or and um about matter domestic violence and all that stuff gender-based rape they're not going to come to us because at the end of the day it's not going to help them in any way they want their things to be done first and whatever um, comes after that uh, they don't care so yeah, at the same time, I do sympathize with them. The well, those who care, because at the end, of, we've seen many of these African Americans do come to our aid. I mean, um, you know, Ice Cubes, your know, Dave, um, all these famous American guys. they okay, except for Dave, but all these famous Americans, they've actually um started saying, "Listen, this is what's going um here in Africa." Please can you guys give them the coverage and all that stuff? But the others are just like, ah, you know I'm I'm just not gonna yeah.
0: Um yeah, that's 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 basically that's basically it. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I I sympathize with them a lot because we have to understand, I think the reason that us Africans are quick to come to their defense and their support is because that stems from them being a major part of our lives through media and other media. So As an African growing up, America, the United States of America, even the UK to a certain degree, they are major reference points for because we get a lot of media from there, a lot of information, that sort of stuff. Whereas on the other hand, so, so we are up to date with what's going on in America, whereas it's not as easily accessible for the American citizen. And I'm not making excuses for them because I feel like people should take accountability and responsibility and do their due diligence to just keep up with what's going on across the world, um, because we're all equal citizens of this world. But that's just my whole thing, is that there's a sort of disconnect in the media. So now people have to be a lot more proactive, whereas for us, we can get spoon-fed what's going on. It's shoved right in our faces, you know, because you go on DSTV, for example, and you get CNN, you get BBC, you get Al Jazeera, right? But I don't, I mean, I'm certain you don't get ZPC, you don't get BTV. You don't get SABC in America when the United Kingdom. So already there's this massive difference in the information that we're that we're receiving. So I think that attributes to it a lot. But there are people, you know, of African descent who do proactively seek out information, and that is commended. Um, but it's just not it's just not enough, I think, because even on our side we have Africans that aren't knowledgeable in what's happened happening and we have some Africans that are knowledgeable or ignorant. So it, it it swings and sways and roundabouts, so that's just what I think about. But then my next question, are we then asking too much of ourselves as Africans? Because if we look at it this way, we've got over 2000 tribes squeezed into 55 or so countries, so surely it can't get more dense than that, because if we aren't asking too much of ourselves, then why are the African political and social systems failing so miserably? Because we've been independent for quite some time, most African countries, but for all these decades, certainly for all our lives, they've not been able to get it right. And it's not like they don't have a president to follow. There is a president, but still the results have been quite dismal. So I've left out the economic systems because they are ultimately a byproduct of the political and social situations. Do you guys think that we ask too much of ourselves? We ask too much of the African Union, for example, which will be our next segment. Um, and what do you think is next with a young African? Um, I think we don't. Um, we don't ask
1: too much of ourselves. We are just crippled by greed. That's yeah, that's my take. We are crippled by greed. We're not asking for a lot, like, because um that's stability that we require. Like for example, like I just I think was it in Nigeria where they had like COVID relief food stacked away, hidden without uh, hidden by government officials, and then they are only like finding it now. But you know, like I think it was the UN had already sent them like these relief packages like a very long time ago. It's, yeah, we're we're just crippled by greed. That's that's my take. We can't we we can't say that we're asking for too much of ourselves. And this was saying like to not be is asking too much for Africans, which I feel like ah nah that's yeah I I can't say that.
0: Okay, what about you Simba?
2: Yeah, I agree with with Tawanda. I think we, especially the youth, I think we we don't ask for all we're simply asking for is that give us something that give us a future. We all want the future. No one wants to, to work outside of their place of living. No one wants to work in, I don't know, Japan, when they know they can be working in, in Zimbabwe or whatever, wherever African countries. Everyone wants to be at home where they can be close to their families. And I think that all but people are being robbed of that because of the, the greedy people up top. It's been going on for, for decades now. And it's just going to that point, like, after you, you finish um, school whatever, what's the next thing? Because you don't even know what the next thing is. You don't know whether you're gonna you're gonna get a job. You don't know whether you're going to survive, whether you're gonna feed if you've got a family, whether you're gonna feed your family, and so forth. So I think we don't ask for much. We just what we do ask for is just for us to be given an opportunity to to live our best lives and an opportunity for our next generation to to live their best lives as well and continue that. So yeah, I, I'm i just adding on to what Tawanda said, but yeah, I agree with everything that he said.
0: Right. I um, I agree with Tawand's first point that we don't ask too much of ourselves. I would say we ask two people that we
3: placed our trust
0: in. I want to use the word, in, but I think crucially, the word that I would rather use is, or the phrase I would rather use is out of time. Because I, though I did say that they come from similar socioeconomic, geographical, you know, social backgrounds is us. These guys are out of touch because you've got 80-something-year-olds, 70-something-year-olds for the most part, leading countries where the majority of the demographic is the youth. So already that's disproportionate. They are no longer in touch with what our experiences are, what our realities are because they're so far removed from that. The last time a lot of these guys were in our position, Zimbabwe Zimbabwe didn't exist. So already that tells you that there's a major, major disconnect. And it sort of allows me to segue into our final segment, which is, I think, a bit more important than the middle segment we're discussing and a bit more thought-provoking. And it stems from this conversation I had with a friend of mine, Cindy, um, we're talking about the African Union and how they've really let us down. And that's evidenced in the SARS, the end SARS um, atrocity, where, for you know, this was promised to be dealt with a while back. And yet here we are in October 2020, nearly November, still talking about it. And crucially, we have brothers and sisters who are still. So really, what the point of contention I want us to focus on. Is that I've seen recently on social media that a lot of people are campaigning to have the AU dissolved, which is an interesting viewpoint. And I want us to touch on that. Um, so before we start on your views, I just want to state my position because it, it can be a bit then Um and then I'll let you guys discuss and we'll debate. Um, um, but my 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 view is that I have two stances. The first stance is that I think the African Union has blood on its hands. That is that is something that no one can change. And we'll get into that later, I'm, I'm certain. Um, they are an institution that is supposed to be a check and balance for African leaders. But that's far from what's happening in real life. And we're all aware of how the African Union is perceived to be, because I think it is. It's it's a gentleman's club. It's nothing but a gentleman's club where all these massive figures come, give us false promises. And really, all they're doing is aiding and abetting each other and supporting each other and propping each other up. But then my second stance is that we have always known that the African Union is just a token. It's a symbol of false hope and worse yet, nothing more than a gentleman's club. Like I've previously said, it's not actually an instrument of change for the average citizen, but it's rather a shield for all its sort of abusers, you know, the, the abusers of the African citizen. and it's a pipe dream in my opinion to think that just disbanding it would weaken them because if they really wanted to collude and to continue to be these vile leaders that they have been over the past few decades, then they're going to do it. You know, disbanding the African union, I don't think is going to be enough to deter them from all their greediness. Like Simba said, Um, it it won't be enough. Um, But I do remember talking to Simba the other day. And it just made me think that if you want to beat the system, you have to find another way. And I think that's not going to be the way. Because I was talking to Simba, and Simba said, you know, you don't get into a tussle with someone who plays by different rules. Because when you get ahead, that tussle is going to turn into a gunfight that you weren't prepared for. And it's the same when you're dealing with politicians. We've seen it many times with African leaders, when you beat them by the ballot, and then they challenge you to beat them by the bullet. So they're always like moving the goalposts. And that's like, that's the situation that we find ourselves in as African citizens trying to actuate change is that, you know, you've got these leaders that don't want to dismount from this tiger that they ride on, which is corruption, because the tiger's getting hungry. I can't remember who said that, quote, but I think that's just the reality of it. And so I, my personal stance is that we have to find a different way to, to sort of beat the system. What are your views, Tonda?
1: Yeah, dude. Um, you're totally right about the AU needing to jump out, and yeah, I I wholeheartedly agree with that. My problem is that who then replaces that entity if the entity is going to be replaced? Because I know it would be pure chaos if it's not replaced, and depending on the replacement, it could be even more chaotic. So that that would be my main that would be my main concern as in to like what exactly is going to replace a because you know you can't like y- you know like africans in general we are we are very capable of replacing corruption with more corruption so yeah for me it's it really depends on what's going to replace the
2: entity
0: okay yeah what about you simba
2: yeah um i think yeah turned a spot on there i think at the end of the day i think both of you are spot on at the end of the day yeah you can replace all these things and whatnot it's it's all fun and all that on paper, but at the end of the day, you have to see who's gonna come in, um, what, how that gonna affect the the rest of us? Because I mean, the African Union right now, it's they all help each other, they're all in the same boat, they're all for the liberation struggle and all that. So now they're just like, we did this, we are in that position, so why should we let go? So, yeah, I think at the end of the day, it just depends who's going to who's going to fill up those positions or what new organization is going to be formed from that. Personally I don't think um, a youth orientated organization should be formed, as I said before. Um, but yeah, it just it just really depends on who you're going to put in those positions and how people are going to react and what the, their vision is and how they plan on helping the rest of the continent and this person.
0: No, word, word. I, I agree with you. I think it's one thing I can liken it to, and I don't mean to be facetious, but one thing we can liken it to is like any sports team. Let's take football, for example. You always get like your head coach or your manager and fan bases. They're not happy with the performance of the manager. And they say, we want his head. We want him out. He has to be sacked in the morning. And we always say this in sports. And I know the three of us have been guilty of it. But We say it wholeheartedly in this conviction, but we don't have a succession plan. And then what happens is that because you don't have a succession plan and you've got rid of the devil you know, and I'm not advocating for us keeping the devils we know, far from it. I'm just saying that when you don't have a succession plan, you go from bad to worse. And that's why we need to be wary of stepping blindly. I think we need to, because the, the intention is right. And I think even the direction is right, but we need. A plan. We need, you know, a, a method of operation. Like, what what are we going to do, you know, with this newfound freedom, um air quotes? um Because we don't want to be in a situation where we're now stranded and even more vulnerable than we already are. We need change, but we need a direction. We need sound leadership with ideas. Like Tiki said, I like that, you know, something that's youth centric because we're the energized ones. We're the ones that have the ideas, the Determination, the energy to still do something about what's going on. We're the ones that are in touch with what's really affecting us because we're the ones that are, I'd say, most affected. I think our parents obviously have a certain degree of, I wouldn't say grief, but stress really that's attached to what's going on back home because they can't pay school fees, so they can't put it on the table, they don't know where the next paycheck is coming from. But we're the ones that are going to have to live with global warming, we're the ones that are going to have to deal with a lack of resources or rather a depletion of resources and so on and so forth. So I think we're the ones that are best in a position to choose our future for ourselves. And, you know, under that guideline, I think if we have a plan, then maybe maybe we can start talking about what we can do in the future. But um going back to the African Union, I feel like they shoot themselves in the foot. Um they have a lot of four powers, you know, foot and mouth and and we'll touch on, you know, the excuse me the the armed conflict in Africa and how people are actually profiting from but you know I just want to touch on the day of the African women for example which is in, in August and the African Union Twitter account was you know celebrating all these amazing yes they are amazing African women and all their accolades and that day I had mixed emotions about it because yes they're celebrating African women strong African women have done amazing things during their lifetime, but then they left out Tsitsi Dangaremka, and I was wondering why, and then it dawned on me that the reason they left her out was because she was currently unlawfully imprisoned at that time by the Zimbabwean government, and I think they were dancing around that issue, because the African Union never put out a statement about the Zimbabwean Lives Matter, they never put out a statement about you know, Tsitsi Dangaremka, for example, Hopeful Hop- 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 as well, the journalist who was wrongfully abducted, and, you know, that just further shows the indifference to the African plight. is that when it's convenient, they'll pretend and celebrate African people. But when it's not convenient, they will be silent and they will be complicit. And that also leads us to armed conflict and how, how much revenue it really generates. And I, I don't think a lot of people our age realize how much revenue conflict generates and why it's profitable. For African nations to be warmongering and just be in a, in, in a state of turmoil. Um, statistically speaking, it's estimated that armed conflict costs Africa 18 billion US dollars each year and sets back the affected what? countries 15% economic. So that each year, Africa is set back 15 billion, 18 billion dollars. That's unimaginable. So if that's how much it's costing us, you know, to, you know, engage in these conflicts amongst ourselves, amongst our brothers and sisters. Imagine if that money were redirected in things that we actually need. And this just goes back to me saying that the African Union shoots itself in, in the foot because they have this, the theme for the African Union this year is silencing the guns. Um, so that's the theme for 2020 and it's about armed conflict. But you know, African, the African Union member states have only contributed 131 million to the African Peace Fund since 2017. Right. By contrast, Northern Ireland alone has has received $3.26 billion. So you've got the entire African states, $131 million for our peace fund. Northern Ireland, $3.26 billion in the last 20 years. So a country that's not even independent, right? Because they are a part of the United Kingdom, has amassed way more for their peace fund compared to the entire continent. The entire African, and it just goes to show that I don't think our leaders really have our best interests at heart. I don't even think they have the interests of their descendants, because, facts. Who are their descendants going to have left to govern if we're killing each other? I just wanted to get you guys' thoughts on that. Now, like
1: Simba already pointed it out earlier, that um, like the 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 white people generally already have, like even if they're not friends, they already have each other's backs you know because yeah like you said like um them men have already made how much was it three billion
0: uh 3.26 billion
1: 3.26 billion and that's that's them independently they've been uh, they they even though they're not independent, but like the people around them have allowed them to have those sort of resources and have made things easier for them. Yet here we're just, yeah, making sure that we both put ourselves in the mud and no one wants, yeah. Like I said, it, it just goes back to that greed thing. Like, yeah, greed is the center of all, most, most if not all, of Africa's problems.
0: What about you, Simba? What's your take?
2: Yeah, I think everything has been said. Um... It's really shocking. Those numbers are really shocking. When you see that that money could be used for so many things that could actually help African people, um, just gets you wondering. Um, just gets you wondering. What if? What if? But yeah. Um, I also find it really. I was watching um a documentary the other day, and it was on the the Rwanda president. I forgot what was it. Felicia, I forgot the surname, I don't know if you guys know, um, I forgot the surname though, but when the genocide was was orchestrated um, between the two tribes, he was the one who was actually financing the, the weaponry and the armory and all that stuff. And it just gets me wondering why people, these are our leaders, why do these guys do this stuff? For what? what is their purpose? What is their gain? And it's just it's just shocking for me, so yeah um it is it is really sickening to see those numbers, but yeah, uh, a lot of work needs to be done on sorry, done on our continent because right now we're in a mess, um and we
0: really need to look at us our, at ourselves and see what the best solution is, yeah, definitely, I think we're in a really troubling time because we sort of have not just repression but just problems coming from various sides and it's the very same people that are meant to be protecting us and, and leading us and guiding us into a golden era for africa they're the ones letting us down because i think that's a staggering 18 billion dollars african are set back by armed company now that's how much we're set back that's how much it costs us now they illicit arms trade right Illicit arms trade that's basically the illegal smuggling of weapons into africa which is how all these organizations that trade arms are benefiting they benefit one billion dollars a year from it and that's that's from the united that's that's a statistic from the united nations report on escalated conflict in africa so that's accurate as of 20 if you think about and it goes back to me saying that it's quite profitable just people in general to be in conflict because weapons cost money bullets armament travel for all all these sort of expenses this is a staggering amount of money I mean, if you look at how much it takes to build a school, how much it takes to prop up a school, right, and to m- then make a school self-sufficient, how, how much are we looking at? Do you reckon? Just an estimate.
1: Ballpark, ballpark.
0: I, I really don't I, know. I would say five
1: hundred. I don't know million.
0: either. Okay, yeah. I think that's a fair figure. Yeah, I think that's a fair figure. Um, I'd say. I mean, really, you don't need too much. I mean, once you get, you know, the infrastructure. The books salary for the teachers at the very least we're looking at 100k you know for it to be self-sustainable in the coming years so and i'm terrible with maths but 100k into 18 billion or even one this is just disproportionate you know instead of educating you know advancing our people we're in a situation where you know we're paying 18 billion or oh, it's costing us 18 to prop up child soldiers, child labour and all this all this really messed up stuff. And that is the state of play as it stands. And the reason why I've brought this up this very I think disturbing is because we, we need to raise awareness of what is actually going on back home. Armed conflict is seeping. We we talk about politicians stealing money and you know our resources, but armed conflict is really, really settings back and setting our resources back. You know, it's it's something that we as a youth and the responsibility and the onus is on obviously the leaders, but also as us us as youth to find a way around it. And I don't know what the answer is and I don't know what the general consensus is. But I'm hoping that, you know, someone who hears this might be able to start a conversation. And that's a conversation that I think we're willing to participate in, because it's a conversation that needs to be had. And I think that's something that's swept under the rug a lot. Zom conflict because we, we get distractions of all sorts. Like, this billionaire buys this, this celebrity is doing this. But really, the things that are affecting us are getting swept under the carpet. Yeah, that's what I have to say on this. And so, with that, that brings us towards the end of our pretty long episode, a bit longer than I expected. Um, but yeah, you guys, just general feelings, um, summaries on what we've discussed. Um, Yeah, I think today
1: has shown like even like with the length that we've talked is shown how much of a disarray our ends are in like how much of a disarray um not only the country but like the whole continent is in so uh, yeah depressing to talk about but like you said before it's a conversation that needs to be had so that we keep talking about it so that we keep thinking about it we like sleep trying to think about it and we god helping we find a solution and not to only one problem, but to everything,
2: yeah, yeah, 100 percent, I think the, the conversations that aren't supposed to be had are the most difficult, and this one to be the one. We need to consistently, spread awareness, constantly so talk about this until something is done. As I always say to you guys, nothing changes, nothing changes. So yeah, we just have to keep applying pressure and fight for a better future. For us and for those that come after,
0: hundred percent agree. So I would just like to end this podcast just giving a shout out to a few social media pages that are doing a decent job um, and just spreading awareness about a lot of things. Um, in particular, things that are going uh, on in Zimbabwe and Harare, especially. Um, you know, there's all sorts of things. Um, and these these pages that I'm going to highlight or just doing a, a bit, you know, for empowerment and just mobilizing people with information. So you should check them out.
3: Um For example, you've got Girl Up Harare. G-I-R-L-U-P-H-R-E. It's an NGO that strives to empower, unite, and support girls by creating opportunities through community and telling a story. Uh, next up, my recommendation would be We Are Not Broads. W-E-A-R-E-N-O-T-B-R-O-A-D-S. It's a community organization that's dismantling rape culture, toxic masculinity, and objectification of women and bridging the gap amongst teens in Zimbabwe. So I would recommend giving it a quick perusal. Um, The next one I would recommend is Kurudzira, which is K-U-R-U-D-Z-I-R-A, which is another social media page that's all about the empowerment of African. And they've got a lovely Instagram page and some awesome content, so I would recommend that. And then finally is a slightly bigger page, um So You Want To Talk About. That's So You Want To Talk About. With no spaces, no capital letters. You can find it on Instagram. And this is a slightly bigger page that dissects progressive politics and social issues in the slideshow. Um, and they make these complex and daunting topics that we all care about a lot more accessible and less intimidating for the average reader. So I would recommend um, if you're looking for a place to start, really. And so from the General Consensus podcast, I'm Hilary. Thank you for listening and stay safe.